Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm excited to share the word with you again this week. But I want to ask, how are you doing? How has it gone last week with growing and strengthening your faith? Are you guys growing? Is your faith growing? All right, that's awesome. Well, we are in week six of our eight-week series where we're going through Colossians 2, 6 through 10. And we're going to go ahead and stand and read this passage of Scripture together to begin. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So as I said, eight weeks, and we're breaking up this passage into eight topics. The first two weeks, Pastor Cameron talked about receiving Christ Jesus as Lord and what the Lordship of Jesus in our life actually looks like. So powerful. And then continue to live your lives in him. And if you missed any of these messages, they're on our church website. You can get a hold of them through YouTube and Facebook as well. Then two weeks after that, Kathy Spalding preached about what it is to be rooted and established in our faith and then built up the next week. Last week, I talked about being strengthened in the faith as we were taught. And today, we're going to talk about overflowing with thankfulness. And the next two weeks, Bill is going to get his chance. And he's going to be preaching the next two weeks. So we'll look forward to that. Okay, so for today, we're going to talk about overflowing with thankfulness. And as I share, we're going to be answering the question, well, what does it look like in our lives to overflow with thankfulness? And what impact will overflowing with thankfulness have on your life? It's profound, and it's going to be so good. So first of all, let's get into the deeper meaning of some of these words. First of all, overflowing comes from the Greek word persuo, which means over and above, to exceed the fixed measure. I love this one, to have an abundance at hand. You've just got an abundance right there, ready to go. And thankfulness is eucharistia which means gratitude. It's the giving of thanks. It's, it's grateful language to God as an act of worship. It's expressing gratitude through word, song, or deed. Okay, so let's pull together our verse and see what this means. So just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, overflow with thankfulness. And so what this is saying is because we've received him, we are to have at hand, at the ready, an abundance of grateful language to give to him. 
That is, that is what we're called to. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, rooted. It's a rooted kingdom. It's not easily shaken. Let us be thankful. Do you see the source of our thankfulness in this verse? It's that unshakable kingdom. Because of the unshakable kingdom that we are in Christ, that we are a part of, let us be thankful. And what is that going to look like? So worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Here is a beautiful example of what overflowing with thankfulness sounds like. This is um, Isaiah 61, 10 and 11. And in it's, it's an expression of thankfulness for salvation. I'm going to read it to you as an example to just gush forth thankfulness toward God. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. All our filthy rags are removed. All of our stained garments are removed, and we're arrayed in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Praise the Lord. So thankfulness, though, is a choice that we make that affects everything. It affects everything in your life, and it's a choice we make. So I want to ask you today, do you have a routine do you have a habit of thankfulness in your life? The Levites did. It was part of their um, morning and evening. It says in 1 Chronicles 23, 30, every morning and every evening that they would stand and praise the Lord. They had this habit, this routine of constant thankfulness to the Lord. Here is a beautiful act of thankfulness that Jesus appreciated. It's the story of when the 10 lepers were healed. How many of you are familiar with that story? Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Luke 17, 15 through 19. And what happened is there's these 10 lepers, and leprosy was this terrible disease. You were ostracized. You had to be outside of the community, and you just had a slow and painful death where parts of your body would just decompose and fall off. Very painful, and you were isolated, and there was no cure. It was very sad. So... Here Jesus comes and he heals these 10 lepers. But we learn that only one came back to say thank you. And, and that, Jesus loved that. That really impacted him. Now, their thankfulness, they weren't healed. It wasn't like the nine that didn't come back and say thank you. We're suddenly, you know, had leprosy again. That wasn't what that was about. But because he came back to say thank you, he got to have a conversation with Jesus that the other nine didn't have. He got to um, have that close relationship with him. He got to acknowledge the miracle in a way that the others didn't. And it reminds me of what I talked about last week, where I said um, when God does a miracle, it's like clearing a space before us. 
getting rid of enemies of doubt and insecurity. And the most appropriate response for us is to occupy that space with greater faith. And that is what this, this man did. He acknowledged the miracle. He went toward Jesus. And that's what I want us to have a culture of here at New Day. Because our faith will grow by leaps and bounds when we acknowledge and we intentionally see the Lord for who he is and fill that space with greater faith so that the next time something comes up, we can apply that greater faith. We will be strengthened and we can um, grow in that way. It's so, so awesome. So what will um, a life overflowing with thankfulness look like? What will be some of the components of that life? I just want to um, spend some time on this topic so you can really see how is someone's life impacted when they overflow with thankfulness? This is huge. So someone that is overflowing with thankfulness will experience contentment because what they're dwelling on, what they're voicing, is all their gratefulness. And it feeds and it breeds contentment. Paul was content. This is a beautiful passage that expresses how he was content. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Can we say that? Are we content when we have plenty and when we have little, when we're well-fed and we're hungry? That's the goal, and that's what a life overflowing with thankfulness will have. You know, it's also going to apply to our finances, too. We'll have contentment when it comes to money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. So when we're thankful for our income, we're thankful for our money, overflowing with thankfulness will breed contentment in that area too. A life overflowing with thankfulness will oppose greed because greed is looking for more. But when you're overflowing with thankfulness, you're dwelling on the goodness of God and what you have. Luke 12, 15 says, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. A life overflowing with thankfulness will not only oppose greed, but will also oppose jealousy. It's similar where greed looks for more, jealousy looks for more, but in comparison to another and wanting what another has, where when you're overflowing with thankfulness, you're not only grateful for what you have, but you're grateful for what they have too. James 3.16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, you'll find disorder in every evil practice. And as I study this more and more, I'm realizing, wow, thankfulness is at the root of so many things. All of these like destructive ways to live and sinful behaviors are met 
It's like thankfulness is the antidote. <laughs> and it's because thankfulness is rooted in trust. And we'll get to that in a minute. I also studied to see that a life overflowing with thankfulness will experience joy. That abundance of thankfulness can't help but produce joy. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That is what the attitude of one overflowing with thankfulness will have each day when they wake up. This is the day you made, so I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be glad today. A life overflowing with thankfulness enjoys peace. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. See, peace makes the rules. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So when peace is making the rules, the rest of our heart can follow. A life overflowing with thankfulness will experience peace. A life overflowing with thankfulness will behave honorably. Ephesians 5, 4 says, Nor should there be obscenity, that's like dirty language, filthy language, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Now, now these jokes... They may be funny in one sense, but they're just out of place for a Christian. And um, if you study this verse a little deeper, it's really talking about the joking about inappropriate, impure sexual humor. And so, and it's not saying, hey, avoid these things so you can be a Christian. It's saying, now live in a manner that's fitting for the Christian that you are. This is who you are. You know, live like that. And this verse continues. So foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So instead of all these things, what fills the cup? What fills the space? What fills the language, the volume of words, the, the meditations of the mind that would produce this type of talk and joking, what fills it? Thanksgiving, but rather thanksgiving. Thanksgiving fills that place instead. And I'm just going to turn it, um, since it's talking about the sexual content, you can be thankful to God for um, the primary purpose of what he made sex for. You know what it is? It's for the bonding of husband and wife in a one flesh relationship. That is the primary purpose. So, you know, certain expressions of sexuality are sin, not because God wants to deprive some enjoyment, but because they're, they're against his primary purpose for sex. That's why. And a life overflowing with thankfulness will not worry. Whew. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
I want to hang out on this topic for a few minutes. This is really key. How many of you were here last week and remember Justin, um, one of our main worship leaders, share that he really felt from the Lord, speak to his spirit, that God wanted to heal those of us who were dealing with fear and anxiety. And that really resonated with Bill and I with what we feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to our spirits as well. And so I believe that this is a, a season right now, um, was not confined to just last week. And um, I don't know that it's going to be for the whole year or what, but just in these, in these next several weeks and months, poise yourself to be healed if you are one that struggles with fear and anxiety. This is something he's on. Okay, so worry says, this is what worry says, I'm not going to be okay. Things aren't going to turn out well. That's the mantra of worry, right? So it's about where we place our trust. I talked last week about how faith is placed trust. So have I placed my trust in lack or in God? If I have more confidence that I'm going to be lacking in the future, then I worry. If I have more confidence that God will provide, then I can be thankful. Where is your faith placed? Where is your trust placed? So worry and thankfulness are byproducts of putting your faith in two different things. Last week I also shared that faith has always has an object. There's something or person that we're placing trust in. And I use the example of a chair. So to truly faith place to truly place faith in a chair, I must sit in it and risk the chair's collapsing. So faith is an entrusting of oneself to another thing or person. So let's take this um picture further so picture a chair called lack are you going to place your trust in lack and sit there that chair is rickety that chair is scary to sit in you're sitting in it and you're very aware that the legs are not even lengths there's a chair called god that you can sit and place your trust in that is a sturdy, solid, well-made chair. That's not going anywhere. The joints are solid. Because the truth is, you can place your trust in God because this is what he will do. He will either remove the trouble you're facing, give you a different perspective about it that allows you to engage with it, whereas you couldn't before, or he will walk with you through it, holding your hand, not letting you go, giving you what you need to walk through it. Or he will give you the wisdom to confront the trouble if you need to, to face it and do something. If you're in Christ, if you're following him, you can trust that whatever you're going through, he will work all things together for good. In his creative, masterful way, there's no way we could imagine he could turn some things for good 
yet he can. We can trust that. Also, we can trust that there's nothing that we've experienced that he cannot heal. He is a master at turning ashes to beauty. And you can trust that no matter what trauma you've been through, no matter what trouble you've experienced, you can place your trust in him. He can heal you. And I've seen him do it again and again. So here's a, here's a couple things that I'm not saying. Let's just point these out real quick here. Um, so abounding in thankfulness, overflowing in thankfulness is not a license to be irresponsible. You know, like, yay, I'm just going to be thankful and I'm just going to, you know, mismanage things. Nope, not saying that. I'm not saying that it's um, permission to condone abuse. If you're being abused in some way and you hear me saying, you know, be thankful in all things. Um, now, you could, no matter what you face, you can still be thankful. So you could say, God, I'm thankful that you're revealing to me the bad situation that I'm in. I'm thankful that you're going to provide a way out. I'm thankful that you've provided other people in my life who don't treat me poorly. I'm thankful. There's things you can be thankful for, but I'm not saying be thankful for that and stay in that. I'm also not saying um, to ignore emotionally difficult things like sadness or grief. So, you know, abounding in thankfulness. Hey, there is difficult things you're going to face that it's appropriate to be sad. And we need to grieve when we go through loss. We must grieve in order to be healthy emotionally. You will not be healthy emotionally if you do not grieve losses with the Lord. You have to take those losses to the Lord and bear your heart before him and say, this is what I'm going to miss. I'm so sad. And when you open that part of your heart, he meets you and comforts that spot. You don't open it. His comfort can't reach that spot. You go to him and he, he will comfort you. Um, so those are just a few things about thankfulness. So I have a challenge for you. This list of components of a life overflowing with thankfulness is not exhaustive. So my challenge for you as you're reading the Bible this week to find some more. What are some other elements? Um, I thought of another one just this morning on the drive over that um, a life, so here's the ones I came up with, but also a life overflowing with thankfulness opposes cheating too. You won't be motivated to cheat because you're thankful for what you have. You're not going to think like, oh, I need to cheat this system to provide for myself to get ahead. You're just thankful and you trust that God is able to provide for you and you don't need to do a workaround to make it happen for yourself. Okay, who's going to accept the challenge? Fine, what else can you find? Okay. And, you know, we're called... This is a little bit tough. Um, we're called to always be thankful. It says it again and again in the word. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. And then in verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, so whether what you're saying with your mouth or what you're acting out with your body in your day-to-day life, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this isn't something that we're called to just sometimes or just when we feel like it or after we've had all of our needs met or when we get into a good mood, then it's something to practice as a habit day in and day out. This is what the Bible's teaching us. So this is what I'm bringing to you today. Okay, when I'm studying a topic, I don't know if you guys are this way too, I often like to look at its opposite because it can help inform another perspective of the topic that you're looking at. So I'll ask you, what is the opposite of thankfulness? Complaining, greedy, covetousness, opposite of thankfulness, be really loud. Envy, fear, misery, look at you guys, doubt, you guys are good, this is really awesome. So the opposite of overflowing with thankfulness is overflowing with the things that you guys talked about. I'm going to say ungratefulness, and I'll tell you the times that I've, um, overflowed with ungratefulness in my life, complaining has been part of what that looks like in practice. So let's talk about complaining for a minute. What happens when we complain? It's, it's pretty significant, actually. When we complain, it arouses God's anger. Let's read this passage in Numbers 10, 33. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 11, verse 1. So the Israelites, it's talking about the Israelites, they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find a place to rest, to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from camp Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, may your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. This passage is profound because those first few verses I read to you, isn't that beautiful about the provision of the Lord? The ark went before them to find their next place to rest. That is what our God is like. He's always going before you, preparing the way. And not only that, then he gives them the cloud So right there in that moment, not only is he before them, he's also giving them that cover and that provision in the moment. Yet what do they do? They complain. 
Now you might be able to relate to this if you've ever been a babysitter before or um, a teacher or a parent where you've really put some effort into preparing for students or for children or, you know, for anyone, even your peers maybe. And, you know, you, it's, it's been through love and through care. And then when there's complaining, isn't it just like kind of a slap in the face? Like, oh, that, that's not great. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so when we complain, it actually arouses God's anger. And it's, all, it's offensive. It's offensive to him because he is going out of his way to love and care and provide. And yet we just are like, mm, I don't like it. Um, here's a passage here in Numbers 14, 3 and 4. And it's when the Israelites get to the border of Canaan for the first time. Now, that was the promised land that he'd promised them that this was like the culmination moment. And they get to the edge. But it turns out that there's some pretty mighty formidable foes that occupy that land. And guess what the Israelites do? They complain. They complain against Moses and Aaron. They refuse to enter Canaan. They say, why has the Lord brought us here to fall by the sword? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Okay, so they're scared. There's that fear. They're on the edge, and they're like, okay, this is suicide. We go in there. We're just going to get slashed with the sword. Not only us, our wives, our children. We'd be better off to go back to Egypt. They're taking that to the next level. They're ready to select a leader and go ahead and go back. But what happens when we complain is that it actually skews our view of reality. Because we're so keyed in on what we're complaining about that we actually cannot see the picture clearly at all. And that's what was happening right now with the Israelites. In Numbers 11.5, they say, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. All the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion, and garlic. Now those are some yummy foods. But really, at no cost? At no cost? You were in bondage. You were in slavery. You were in misery. So much so that if we recall Exodus 2.23, the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out. It was so severe for so many years, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Okay, that is really the big picture going on. Yeah, they were dealing with some difficult things, but the big, you want to go back to that? And so when we complain, our whole view of reality is skewed. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is a constructive approach. Rather than complaining, ask a humble question. Because if you're considering complaining, there's something going on there that is probably worth addressing. What if the Israelites had asked a humble question instead? What if they had been on the edge of Canaan and they said, Lord, 
we're feeling afraid. You've called us here, but how in the world is this going to work? What's your plan? What do you think about that? That would have been a lot better than complaining, huh? I think that can apply to our lives as well. See, the Israelites in that moment, their faith was in lack. They were sitting in the lack chair, (laughs) the rickety chair. They were focusing, we lack the power to take the promised land. That is where my faith is. That is where I've placed my trust. Instead of faith in God, who parts the Red Sea, who rescued us from slavery, who provides for us in the wilderness food and water and so on and so forth. So where is are you placing your trust, in lack or in faith? When does um, placing your faith in lack show up in your life? When does it show up most in your life, most frequently? I think for me, it's um, some mornings when I wake up. And if I'm thinking about everything that has to get done in a day or in a week, and I begin to feel overwhelmed, and I, and I am I going to have enough time? Am I going to have enough resources? Am I going to have enough? Right? Lack says there's not enough. <clears throat> so I have a choice. I can place my faith in that lack and probably be depressed all day. Or I can go, you know what? It seems like I'm not going to be able to get this done, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to be thankful. And he is so masterful. You guys, I can't tell you how many times something that should take two hours to get done, I'm, I'm done in a half an hour. How did that happen? Um, I have something that needs to be accomplished, and he sends a friend or, you know, someone to, to support, and, and we're able to get it done faster, and it was a lot more fun. He is so capable of providing. We do not have to worry. And so for me, it's, it's, it's in the mornings. But when is it for you? And really take this seriously, guys. Because he wants to heal you. He wants to transform this part of your life, this part of your mind. It's revolutionary. It will change everything. It will free you up to be more effective in the kingdom. To be able to accomplish what he's called you to. You won't be bogged down by the by the trust and lack. Last week I said that salvation is our initial placement of trust in God. And then thereafter we continue to place our trust in God again and again and again, and that is perseverance. And so if you are saved, then you are in the perseverance phase of following Christ. 
And I just want to point out James 5, 7, and 9, which reminds us that grumbling or complaining is not an ingredient in perseverance. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So not only actually is grumbling not meant to be a component of the perseverance phase of our journey, it actually will be judged. So let's not do that. How about? How about? And let's support one another um, and lovingly encourage if we see a brother or sister grumbling and help them go to the Lord with a humble question. Help them transfer their trust and lack into God. All right, so in closing, what I'd like to do is have us read together. This is a psalm. It's a song where the psalmist is overflowing with thankfulness for the faithfulness of God. And so let's close this morning by standing and reading this together. It's a bunch of pieces of Psalm 89, a beautiful chapter. But here we go. Let's overflow with thankfulness together. Ready? I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who've learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. Amen. I'm going to, you may be seated. I'm going to invite Bill up to close for us. And here's some just reflection questions. Is your life overflowing with thankfulness? And if not, how can you align your heart, mind, and actions toward overflowing with thankfulness?